0: Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Hey, Nats fans, welcome to the second homestand and one of the longest homestands of the season. Walters is a great spot to meet up with friends and grab a bite to eat before any Nats game.
1: This week, Walters has added pulled pork croquettes to the menu, a great appetizer to share with friends over a bucket of old-time lager. We're driven by the search for
2: better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. you need indeed.
3: Next offering is another fastball missed low to the inside of the count is two balls and no strikes. Now, time called. Wow. Man, Lucius Fox started to come off the field toward the dugout and apparently not feeling well right now on the field is a uh, well, there's no other way to say it. Getting sick on the field, just to the right of the pitcher's mound. Now, pitch swung on, hit high in the air to right center field, deep. Thomas back at the warning track of the wall, looking up, and this ball is gone. Goodbye. John Peterson turns around a 96 mile an hour fastball, and the Giants immediately on the board. Here's the pitch. Swing so a long drive right field. Peterson's got another one get out to tape measure. That
4: one is long gone. Jock Peterson with his fifth homer of the season, his second
3: today, gives the Giants a 6-3 lead. Espino sets in the 0-2. Swing and a line drive up the middle. of base at center field. Two more runs batted in. It is now a six run top of the ninth for the Giants. It's San Francisco 12 in Washington 3.
0: And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, April 25th, 2022, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInSports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, not to gross everyone out, but what Lucius Fox did on the infield in the top of the first inning on Sunday afternoon actually ended up being like the perfect metaphor for the Nats weekend. The Nats got swept, got victimized in a three-game series against the San Francisco Giants at Nationals Park. The Nats in the series got outscored 24-6, including a 12-3 loss on Sunday afternoon. Nats now have lost five consecutive games. Nats this season now are 6-12. and Nats this season have the second-worst run differential in the majors at minus 38. But yeah, four pitches into the game on Sunday afternoon. I mean, think about this. Four pitches... We had the Nats' starting third baseman, Lucius Fox, having left the game due to having thrown up on the field, and we had the Nats' starting pitcher, Joanna Done, having given up a leadoff homer to Jock Peterson on an absolute blast to right center field. I'm not sure how you score that, Mark. Vomit and a leadoff homer, we'll have to ask our friend Bob Carpenter, but uh, Mark, that beginning to the game on Sunday afternoon just about summed up uh, the game and the Nats' weekend.
1: Al, I've been covering baseball, covering Nationals baseball for 17 years. I've covered Major League Baseball for 21 years. I've seen a lot of things, and I always say to myself, though, you never know what you might see when you show up at the ballpark on a given day. And I think today we found out that there's always something you've never seen before.
4: Unfortunately, Johanna Don, in and around that pitcher's mound just behind it, the uh, remnants of what was in Fox's uh, stomach from breakfast
1: Thankfully, I'm five stories up in the press box. Uh, you know, I could see pretty clearly what happened. I feel for anyone who was any closer to it. And I really feel for Johanna Don, who then, after all that, has to go and pitch with vomit like five feet from him, still on the infield. I'm not trying to make light of the situation. It was a very bizarre circumstances. And he has to just go ahead and pitch and he gives up a home run. And, you know, the good news is I think Lucius is all right. He was dealing with a stomach flu. They kind of knew before the game it might be an issue. Obviously, it was. I saw him afterwards, he you know, looked okay. But that's a first for me. I've never seen that one before, and you're right. I mean, if that wasn't the metaphor for this game and for this uh, weekend series, I don't know what else is because the Nats lost, they lost by a lot, and they inflicted a lot of it upon themselves. Let's just say that.
0: Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, if you watch the game on Masson, Masson caught the throw-up as it happened, which was quite the sight when you're watching a baseball game to see something like that. And then... And correct me if I'm wrong on this, the vomit was just left on the infield, right? Did anyone come out to like spray a hose or anything? I mean, I felt like that was kind of gross. They just left the vomit of Lucius Fox, the puke of Lucius Fox on the infield at Nationals Park.
1: So it was there for the remainder of the top of the first. That's why I was saying that, you know, Ioana Doan now has to try to focus on a batter 60 feet from him when, you know, five feet from him, you've got both what it looked like and I'm sure what it smelled like very close to him. And so very unusual. Now, At the end of that top of the inning, a couple of groundskeepers came out with some buckets of water and doused it and tried to clean it up, but (laughs) I don't want to gross people out here, but even in the ninth inning, and I'm sitting as far away from the pitcher's mound as you can sit in this ballpark, I could still see remnants of it at the end of the game. So it was still there, and I do wonder, like, pitchers on the mound or, you know, ground ball in that area, it just had to weird people out. It had to. I don't know how it couldn't.
0: Yeah, uh, that was definitely unusual, but it was rather fitting for what ended up happening in this series. Well, it's interesting with what happened with Lucius Fox. So he promptly leaves the game. Michael Franco, who had been the Nats starting first baseman in the game because of the Josh Bell situation, ends up moving to third base. The Nats backup catcher, Riley Adams, who I know some of us have been like begging to see some more of here. He gets inserted at first base for what ends up being his first career major league regular season appearance at first base. So all it took was Lucius Fox to puke for Riley Adams to get some time at first base in the game here. But this really became a unique situation, Mark, because, you know, we have Josh Bell dealing with his right hamstring tightness uh, that caused him to leave the game on Saturday. And then I saw you tweet after the game, Victor Robles, who did not start, I just assumed it was a day off. No, he was dealing with groin tightness. This is about as shallow as a baseball team can ever be in terms of position player depth for a game.
1: They literally had zero healthy bench players for all but the first two pitches of the game. Now, it doesn't mean they couldn't have used Victor or Josh Bell. If another calamity happened along the way, they probably would have tried to do it. But this is what happens. You know, they decide to go with a three-man bench for a little while here because they needed the extra pitchers. Now, remember, they already have two extra relievers because of the expanded roster in April. They decide to add another one. They've been going with a 16-man pitching staff for a while now. And that means you're putting yourself really short on the bench. Now, they haven't needed pinch hitters. They've had one pinch hit appearance the entire season, but you leave yourself susceptible to injuries and other things that might happen during the course of a game, and that was about as close to a nightmare scenario as it's going to get. Now, the good news is that you know Riley Adams looked fine at uh, first base, and this wasn't an Alex Avila situation (laughs) like last year, Um, but I've got to think that come Tuesday, they need to have another player here who can help them out. You just don't want to put yourself in this kind of position because it, it is dangerous and it it can quickly turn into a farce. You know, um, let's say the game had been competitive down to the end and maybe something happens where either somebody else gets hurt or maybe there's a, a ball hit towards Adams and he can't handle it and it costs them the game. You know, he shouldn't have been out there. I, it, they've worked with him, but he wasn't really quite right. Literally before the game, Davey was talking about how They don't feel like he's quite ready. They're getting him there, but he's not quite ready for it. And then an hour later, there he is at first base. So they're fortunate that that didn't necessarily cost them this game, but it's not hard to imagine how that scenario could have cost them a game
0: funny you mentioned the 16-man pitching staff. The Nats ended up using an incomprehensible seven relief pitchers in this game. We'll get to that coming up in a bit, but let's just put a bow on this Josh Bell situation. So, you know, it is a little troubling, right? Twice in a four-game stretch, he has to leave a game early due to a leg ailment. He left that 11-2 loss to the Arizona Diamondbacks at Nationals Park this past Wednesday night due to an ailing left knee. He leaves the game on Saturday afternoon, the 5-2 loss to the Giants at Nationals Park due to right hamstring tightness. You know, we know Sunday means roster transaction day for the Nats. Thankfully, we did not get one uh, going into this game. So Josh Bell is still on the active roster. Sounds like this isn't that serious. uh, But where are we exactly with Josh Bell? Because he obviously wasn't good enough to start on Sunday.
1: Yeah, so the MRI they gave him, Davey said it was pretty clean. Those are his exact words. So that's good news. MRI came back and it was pretty clean. He was doing some running before the game. I think they figured with a day off on Monday for the team, let's just give him this one off too and now he's got 48 hours to sort of rest and then make you know he was available in case he was needed over the course of the game thankfully he wasn't Uh, so I think they expect that he'll be good to go on Tuesday and it sounds like they expect Victor Robles to be fine too for Tuesday but they're dodging some bullets here and one of these days one of these things is going to be more serious and when you have a schedule that includes 18 straight scheduled days with games to begin the season they wound up getting a rain out, but instead played a doubleheader. So they, they've played 18 games in 18 days to start the season. It's not surprising, I don't think, that you might have guys start to break down a little bit. And so they do have to be careful about this. Josh Bell's really important to them right now. I mean, that lineup without him in it looks not very imposing. They already have issues even when he is in there. So for him to be out is not good. And if he has to miss any length of time, that's a real problem for this team. And so you do have to be careful. I know he wants to play every day, same as Nelson Cruz, same as Juan Soto. But if you're David Martinez, you do have to be careful. You can't afford to lose these guys for any length of time.
0: Yeah. And, you know, with Josh Bell, you have to wonder, right, did the left knee lead to the right hamstring? You know, was he compensating for the left knee and now he's dealing with the right hamstring? I mean, Josh Bell, as we know, is not a small man. He's listed as being 6'4", 261. That's a lot of mass that his legs have to carry. And you know, he's not afraid to run the bases as we've seen. He'll run in the field. So yeah, I mean, it's not shocking that he might be dealing with some of these things and you just don't want these things to compound and, you know, one thing to cause something else to happen and that sort of a thing. Hey guys, it's Al galdy for Window Nation. Get your degree in savings during Window Nation's spring break sale. Get two free windows for every two windows that you buy for as many as you need and Make no down payment and pay no interest for 24 months. Just call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. As you surely know, we have been having very up and down temperatures lately. With up and down temperatures, it's difficult to stay comfortable in your home. With old drafty windows, the longer that you have old drafty windows, the more money that you waste on your heating and cooling bills. Window Nation has saved customers over $60 million dollars On energy bills, buy two windows, get two free, pay nothing for two years, no money down, no payments and no interest for two full years. Save thousands. These are savings that you'll only see once this year. Window Nation has installed over a million windows and has an A plus rating from the Better Business Bureau. Call 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com. That's 866-90-NATION or visit windownation.com and tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you.
3: ready and the 0-1 swing and a fly ball center field. Dubon almost in his tracks, a couple of steps to his left, makes the catch. And the Giants have completed a three-game sweep here in the nation's capital.
0: So you mentioned what's going on with the Nats lineup. The offense right now is terrible, okay? I mean, there's no other way to say it. The Nats scored just six runs over these three games, the Nats 18 games into their season of a team OPS of just 6 Your best hitter this season, Josh Bell, didn't play on Sunday. Your second best hitter this season, Juan Soto. I don't know if slump is the right word here, but he's not been great here lately. Juan Soto had a bad series, 2-for-12 with a double and a single. He drew no walks in the series. When's the last time we had a series in which Juan Soto didn't draw a single walk. He has not done well with runners in scoring position so far. I mean, the sample size is small, so I'm not going to go crazy over this, but if it feels like Soto hasn't come through in the clutch so far this season, that's because he largely hasn't. Soto with runners in scoring position, mere one for 13 with a single and a walk. His overall numbers for the season aren't bad, but he's been having a hard go of it here lately, and Nelson Cruz continues to be brutal. I mean, again, I do think that he'll hit, but You know, you do have to make mention of this is his age 41 season. He's not immortal. At some point, the performance is going to start to fall. Could it be that that's happening this season? We'll see. But Cruz in this series, 0 for 10 with two walks. He now on the season is batting 169. He has a 260 on base. He's slugging 262. This is tough, man. They got to get Cruz going. Soto, again, I don't want to make too big of a deal out of this, but Soto has not been at his best here lately. And the result has been a mostly punchless Nats offense here.
1: And I do wonder if these two are kind of connected in some way. The whole reason for bringing Nelson Cruz in was to have a big thumper hitting behind Juan Soto, hopefully get him more pitches to hit. Well, if he's struggling and teams aren't fearing him, then they uh, aren't going to pitch Soto quite the same way. And Juan himself might be putting more pressure on himself. If he doesn't have faith in the guy behind him, he might think that he has to be the one to carry the whole lineup. And so now... It sort of builds on itself. And I wonder if there's a little bit of that going on. Like you said, for him not to have drawn a walk in a series, that's remarkable. Now the Giants have a very good pitching staff, but you can't tell me that they were so confident in facing Juan Soto that they were willing to throw everything over the plate to him. He had to be chasing something along the way, and that's probably a sign of pressing. And you know, we've seen it from him a few times over the course of his career. It's not, you know, this isn't the first time for that you would hope that he eventually you know fairly soon realizes there's nothing he can do about what the other guys are doing in the lineup he has to remain patient he's got to take his walks and just trust the guys behind him and then eventually he's going to get his hits as well but I do wonder if subconsciously there's a little bit of that recognition that Nelson Cruz is not producing hardly at all and then that, that affects the way that Juan approaches these bats.
0: I think that makes a lot of sense and I think it's entirely possible that that is what is happening here he is killing the Nats right now, okay? And why they won't just call up Luis Garcia from AAA Rochester, I don't understand. I know that he's not a polished product. I know that there are nits to pick, but good God, man, okay? Like, how much more of the Olcides Escobar experience do we need to see here? He was the Nats starting shortstop in every game in this series. He went 0 for 11. He's batting 132 on the year, 207 on base, 151 slugging percentage, and we had another one of these miscommunications on Sunday between Escobar and Michael Franco. I don't get why this keeps happening.
3: 3-2 pitch swung on, chopped the ground left side, Franco and Escobar collide and no one can make a play. I mean Franco going way way wide of third, Escobar charging straight in. And this is not the first time there's there's been an issue where Franco is either lost in front of the third baseman or the second baseman when he's on the other side of the infield with a shift.
0: In a Giants two-run second, Johan Adon gives up a leadoff full count single to Tyro Estrada on a bouncer on which Franco and Escobar have some kind of a miscommunication. I'm not sure whose fault that truly is, but they end up colliding into each other. This is like a bad news bears kind of a thing happening. And you know you watch this, you're like, that's a play that could have been made. And it wasn't made. I think it's worth pointing out, Luis Garcia at Rochester is playing mostly shortstop. He's not playing mostly second base. Like I said, I know that he's not perfect, okay? But what are we doing here with Escobar? Do you think we are getting closer to Luis Garcia being summoned back to the majors?
1: Yeah, there's going to be a day here where they just have to make that move. And I don't know if it's yet or, you know, if it's a week from now or a month from now. I don't know the answer to that. To me, it's the defense. Obviously, Escobar isn't hitting. He's not producing anything at the plate, which is not good, of course. But at the very least, you're saying, well, okay, as a veteran middle infielder, he is contributing to this team. And by making the routine plays and kind of leading the whole infield, and that's the exact opposite of what has happened. And that play, look, we've already seen this happen three, four times, it feels like, this year. And I asked Davy Martinez about it afterwards. You could tell he was not happy at all with it. You referred to it as a miscommunication. That was the same word I used. And he interrupted me and said, it's a lack of communication. And he's putting it on both guys. And he says, if you're Michael Franco and you are the kind of third baseman who likes to cut in front and try to make those plays, you have to let the shortstop know you're doing it. And if you are the shortstop and you know that you have a routine play and you think the third baseman might be coming in, you have to call him off and say, I got it. Now, maybe Escobar normally doesn't have reason to think that the third baseman is going to attempt to make that play in front of him. But... We've seen it enough times now that he's got to know that, yeah, there is a decent chance that Franco's going to try to step in front of him to make the play. They have to communicate. There is no excuse for it from two veteran players like that. And um, you saw Davey after this game. He's not one to show a lot of negative emotion after a game publicly, but you could tell he was especially perturbed by this one.
0: I got to tell you, I like the new feisty Davy at these post game pressers. <laughs> I, I like the spunk that Davy is showing. He doesn't like these things that are happening, and he's not afraid to let people know about that. I, I like this from Davey. I think that's uh, that's a good thing. Uh, but yeah, you know, if Luis Garcia is making these mistakes, let's be honest. It's ah, oh, there's Luis. He's too young and he's not polished enough, you know. But Alcides Escobar makes these mistakes, and I don't know. It's like, why isn't he held to that standard? Like. Alcides Escobar did a very good job for the Nats last season, and we praised him appropriately. It's not going well this season. He's in his mid thirties. Like, what are we doing here? Okay, Luis is hitting at AAA. They're playing him a good bit at shortstop. I really hope we see him sooner rather than later. We'll see. Okay, so you were not uh, with me for the previous installment of the Nats Chat podcast. I'm anxious to get your take on this. What's going on uh, with the leadoff spot in the Nats lineup? So. Uh, For the game on Saturday afternoon, for the first time this season, Cesar Hernandez was not the Nats' number one batter. Lane Thomas was. I wondered, hey, is this a one-game thing or an occasional thing, or is this a new thing? Because we did see Lane Thomas excel as the Nats' number one batter as last season went on. Well, sure enough, on Sunday afternoon, Cesar Hernandez was back to being the Nats' number one batter as a starting second baseman. Had a pretty good game. Went two for four with a double and an infield single. The infield single was interesting. Came on an 0-2 pitch. And he outran the Giants' starting pitcher Logan Webb to first base. That was not a good look for Logan Webb, that play. But it was good to see Cesar get himself a couple of hits. Uh, Lane Thomas was starting on Sunday afternoon. He was an ad starting center fielder and number seven batter. Uh, he went one for four with a single and a stolen base. Did have uh, a bit of a hiccup on defense. You know, this was not an easy play to make. But on the two-out full count RBI triple by Brandon Belt in uh, that Giants two-run second inning. Deep shot to center. Lane Thomas could have made the catch, didn't. He was on the warning track. He missed on an attempted leaping catch. You know, he turned around while he was one running toward the track, so he may have lost track of the baseball. But uh, what do you think about what's going on here with the leadoff spot? Do you think we're gonna see more of Lane Thomas or do you think that, that was more like a, a one game thing?
1: So, real quick, let me address that play because I wanted to mention that in addition to the play at third base and shortstop. It's a tough play, you're right. And you know, it scored a triple and rightly so. But it's not the first time we've seen Lane Thomas struggle on a ball hit over his head in center field. We saw it last year. We saw it in spring training. We've seen it a little bit this year. And this is among the reasons that they don't necessarily feel like, even if he hits, that he is the better everyday alternative in center field to Victor Robles, who, for all his faults at the plate, has looked excellent in the field. And I'm not saying for sure he makes that catch, but he looks better trying to track it down lane thomas got twisted around on that a bad jump and there's something about him going to the wall that it just has not worked out because he sort of goes for it but he's not all in on it and then the ball ricochets off the wall and goes way back in and he's not even in position to play at the carom so that's a problem and it's something that i think they have to keep an eye on and it's among the reasons why i think they feel like he's better long term in left field than in center field so now to the leadoff stuff I think you will see Lane Thomas lead off more. It will probably be against lefties for the most part that he does it, but if he does well and Cesar Hernandez is struggling, yeah, we could see that flip on a more permanent basis as well. I thought it was interesting that Cesar, very first inning, first leadoff appearance uh, of the game in this one, he puts a bunt down. And and it was a great play by the third baseman to throw him out. It's the kind of play, the kind of bunt that you would normally say he would have beaten it out. And I mean, that says something to me that, Cesar is serious about trying to win back and make sure that he keeps the leadoff spot if he's taking that kind of approach. So I don't think they're giving up on him there by any means, but I do think you will see Thomas against lefties, maybe some select matchups. And then eventually you just figure out who's doing better, you know, who's getting on base better, who sets up the rest of the lineup better. And I know you don't love this kind of stuff, but if you do one lineup on a given day and they score seven, eight runs, you're probably going to start seeing that more because that's just the way baseball people are.
0: That's the way Davey is. We know that. That's the way Davey operates. Uh, I do want to highlight a couple of offensive positives for the Nats on Sunday afternoon. Yadiel Hernandez was the Nats starting left fielder and number five batter, two for four with a two-run homer and an RBI single. Yadiel only has 36 plate appearances this season, but he's batting .333, .361 on base, .485 slugging. So he has hit. He's one of the few Nats who you could say legitimately has hit this season. Although, again, the sample size is small. And k Ruiz had a good game on Sunday afternoon. Starting catcher and number four batter, which tells you all you need know about who was available on Sunday. Because Ruiz has not had a good season so far hitting, but he was a cleanup batter. But he went two for three with a double and infield single. Uh, Andy got hit by a pitch. So at least those guys did that. But man, this offense right now is not doing well. And, you know, we don't have the weather to blame anymore. I mean, this was a beautiful weather weekend in Nationals Park. And the Nats still had a hard time hitting. All right, the Giants did not have a hard time hitting in this series. Uh, Patrick Corbin was a mess in Game One. Aaron Sanchez had his issues in Game Two, and then Johan Adone struggled in Game Three. Uh, he ends up giving up five runs in four innings. He gave up six hits, a homer, a triple, two doubles, and two singles. Was failed by his defense to an extent, as we have discussed. He issued a walk and a wild pitch. He had three strikeouts. Um, I know it wasn't definite that Adone was going to be starting this game. Very interesting who relieved Johan Adone and Josh Rogers. So I guess, are we to presume now that Rogers is out of the rotation and Aaron Sanchez is in? Davey, in his postgame presser on Saturday, did uh, suggest that Sanchez will be making another start. Uh, what, what do you make of where we're at with this rotation here?
1: Yeah, that is going to be alignment for now. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to last, but he did say that Sanchez will get another start and he did tell us before the game that Rodgers would be available out of the bullpen, at least for now. They've announced the next two starters. It will be Josiah Gray on Tuesday against the Marlins, Eric Fetty on Wednesday, and then Thursday, the series finale for now, is TBD. Now, that's Patrick Corbin's spot, so I'm curious to see. Now, there's an off day Monday, and you have a sixth starter here now in Sanchez, so there's some ways they could finagle this, and maybe they may say, hey, Let's give Patrick Corbin a few extra days. Let's skip a turn. Who knows? There could be something going on there. But with Josh Rogers, let's remember, he wasn't supposed to make the opening day rotation. They sent him down on the final day of spring training. Only ends up making it because of Annabelle Sanchez's neck injury, which is still affecting him, by the way. He looks great in his first start in Atlanta, but then had two rough starts after that. So if we're kind of ranking the members of the rotation, not just based on performance, but on status which is often how this works, Josh Rogers is probably at the bottom of the totem pole there. And so I think that's why he, for now, would go to the bullpen. doesn't mean he'll stay there, but for now. Now, what I thought was curious is Davey brings him in, and I'm thinking, oh, hey, you know, he may try to get a couple innings out of him because that's what he's capable of doing. And he only ends up finishing that one inning, throwing uh, 11 pitches, and then he's out of the game. So I'm not exactly sure the strategy there. Maybe it's because they want to make sure that he's available again in a few days. I don't know, but it seems to me if you are going to put Josh Rogers in the bullpen on a more permanent basis, you're doing so because you'd like to have another lefty long man who can give you two, three innings. Makes sense to me. That's not the way they used him in this game, but that would make some sense to me if that's what they do moving forward.
0: You know, as much as we are all sick of the Patrick Corbin saga, what we saw over the course of games two and three in this series tells you why Corbin, I would think, isn't going anywhere in terms of this rotation. This team's starting pitching is abysmal, okay? They don't have other options. I mean, the fact that for a spot start, they went to this reclamation project in Aaron Sanchez on Saturday tells you all you need know. And eventually, we know that Cade Cavalli is coming, but, you know, Cavalli got roughed up on Sunday in his start for A Rochester, so I don't know how soon that will be. The Nats' starting pitching ERA now, 18 games into this season, is 672, okay? 672. Is an ad-starting pitching ERA. Like, it's not just that it's bad, it's that it's atrocious. I mean, you know, 672 ERA. you, You you can't dress that up in any way other than that is atrocious. And every game is like this. And so what we ended up seeing with the bullpen on Sunday afternoon, right, was what we have been discussing and fearing. It's great that the bullpen had been doing well, but this can't continue. And sure enough, off great performances by the bullpen in games one and two. You on Sunday afternoon, this 12-3 loss to the Giants get seven. Yes, seven Nationals relievers combining to allow seven runs in five innings. Davey uses Josh Rogers, Victor Arano, Austin Voth, Andres Machado, and then in a six-run Giants ninth, which was like torture for any Nats fan, three guys in a blowout loss. You have to use three guys to get through that ninth inning. Sam Clay, Steve Ciszek. And Paolo Espino, those three guys that inning combined to allow six runs on five singles, two walks, and two hit-by-pitches. This is what we're going to start seeing from this bullpen, I feel like, if these starters continue to be as bad as they are. And let's remember, we've brought this up before.
1: We're now a week away from them having to remove two players, most likely relievers, from their roster because everybody in Major League Baseball has to go from 28 to 26. And so that's why... To bring it back to Rogers, if you're not going to know that you can get 5 plus innings from your starter on a given night, you need to have relievers who can give you multiple innings. And so to me that's Josh Rogers and Paolo Espino. Now that's not how they've been used here. You know, Paolo's been the last man standing, pitching at the end of games. Maybe that changes once the roster is condensed. I mean, it seems to me he should be the guy that comes in in the 5th and kind of bridges the gap until you can get to the late innings. They've got to get to a point here where even if the starter only goes five, that you can only have to use two or three relievers instead of you know four or five. And the only way to do that is to have relievers who can give you two or three innings each. So unless you're suddenly going to start pushing your starters to higher pitch counts and more innings, no matter how, what the results are, I think they have to identify some long relievers in the bullpen. Maybe that's part of the reason why Josh Rogers is down there now.
0: With Cade Cavalli. So it was a 10 1 loss for AAA Rochester at the Lehigh Valley Iron Pigs on Sunday. Sunday was not a good day for both Rochester and the Major League Club. Cavalli in this game, four runs in four innings. He gave up three hits, two walks, uh, had two hit by pitches as well, only had one strikeout. You know, his numbers so far this season for Rochester aren't very good. So again, As much as we are all begging and thirsting and yearning for Cade Cavalli at the major league level, don't know how soon that'll be happening. But I want to loop back to something you said. Anibal Sanchez is still hurting with this neck. This has been labeled as a cervical neck impingement. He suffered it on the flight back from Florida, right? So what's going on with his neck here?
1: I don't know specifics, but I know what I was told is that it's still kind of bothering him. And that's the reason that he's still here and not out on a rehab assignment yet I thought maybe the Nationals are slow playing this, understanding that they don't need to rush him back given, uh, you know, how he pitched at times this spring. But I think there's a physical reason for it, too. Look, you hope for his sake that he can get better soon. But we're talking about a 38-year-old who didn't pitch last year and is still not 100% physically right. So I wouldn't hold my hopes out, you know, that that's going to be the answer to anything here. You hope, you know, again, that he can be all right and that he can make it back, but even whenever he is deemed healthy and able to start pitching, like he's got to build his arm back up again. It's been too long now. So it's going to be a while. And I don't know what that means for him. You feel bad for the guy, but he's still here. And like I said, it's not like we're seeing him throwing the live hitters or doing much of anything uh, before these games. So that's that's not a good sign.
0: But did he hurt it? Do we know, like, did he hurt it sleeping <sighs> on the plane or like his neck was twisted in a bad way? Like normally, you know, you do that, you're okay in a few weeks. Or did something else happen here with the neck?
1: I don't know. I just know that he woke up the next day and reported the problem. Now, is it because of something that happened on the plane or did that just exacerbate something that was already there? I I don't know the answer to that. Whatever it is, it has not – they have not been able to knock it out the way that you would think normally a situation like that you'd be able to knock it out because here we are, what, three weeks later and it appears it's still an issue.
0: You can always email us at the Nats Chat Podcast, natschatpodcast at gmail.com. Email from James Bailey writes, James, let me start by saying I love your podcast and listen every day. Thank you, James. Continues, James. I guess I'm the only Nats fan who doesn't think that Mike Rizzo is doing a great job. If you look at the state of the farm system with little starting pitching and position players all under his leadership and how he has older players on the MLB club, I'm not sure what he is doing, it's going to be a long rebuild. You know, we've hit on some of this in the past. I mean, I I think what's fair to say about Mike Rizzo is this. He has done a great job as Nat's general manager. The last few years have not gone so well. The decline in the farm system certainly does not reflect well on him. The decline in player development certainly does not reflect well on him. I think he has earned the right to try to right these wrongs. But yeah, this rebuild doesn't go well that is going to alter some things on how we view Rizzo, and honestly, if this rebuild doesn't go well, I wouldn't be shocked if ultimately it costs Rizzo his job. Now, we're not there yet, but I think it's important for Mike that this rebuild work well because this is an older GM with a scouting background that goes against the grain of what Major League Baseball is right now, right? Younger GMs, analytics-driven front offices. And so the ownership thing looms over all of this, too. So who knows what the new ownership, if we get new ownership, will think. But when we talk about lack of organizational pitching depth, lack of options from the farm system, I mean, that does not reflect well on Rizzo.
1: Yeah, I think as we've brought up, look at their draft track record over the last seven, eight years. It's not good. And that's both first round picks who have either been busts or been hurt. But it's also not a lot of diamonds in the rough, you know, not a lot of second, third, fourth, fifth round picks that are developing into much. Um, they've had very little drafted and developed talent. They've had better luck in Latin America, and um, that has helped offset some of it. They've obviously done well at times in free agency, and he's done well with trades. I think the major league work that Mike Rizzo has done is among the best in baseball. And I've said for a long time, the reason that they, that franchise turned from what it was in 2008, 2009, into the franchise that won a World Series in 2019 is Mike Rizzo was as responsible for that, more responsible for that than anybody else. But along the way, they did not do a good enough job of restocking their system and putting themselves in a position to be able to sustain success once those players from the championship teams were either getting older or moving on or just not as good anymore. And so, yeah, it starts at the top, of course. We saw them do some overhauling of their player development system the offseason. I was a little surprised there wasn't more overhauling of the scouting department, particularly as it pertains to the draft, because that's been a big problem area for them. And as we've said, you know, they, they like to point out that, you know, they've been drafting in the 20s most of, this, of these years, not in the top 10, until finally last year with Brady House. And now this year, they're going to have the fifth pick. And yes, that's all true. But, you know, there are some other teams that consistently draft in the 20s and still find Big-time players, that's the Dodgers and the Cardinals in particular, who every year have winning records, and they're picking towards the end of the first round. And you can look through their history. They have gotten really good Major League players late in the first round and second, third, fourth, all that. So I do think it's fair to scrutinize all of this. I don't think that makes Mike Rizzo a bad GM in the grand scheme of things, Uh, but I do think it reflects on the people he's had working for him in scouting and in player development, And the fact that it didn't take until now when they, you know, they finally stripped it all down, started over before they made any kind of real significant changes to that program.
0: Yeah. I also wonder about this too, with the changes in the front office this past off season, there were, I guess, some new hires, but there also was a lot of like shuffling around of people as opposed to bringing in new people, fresh ideas. And I wonder if that's going to prove to have been a mistake, like maybe what they needed were new sets of eyes and not just the same people in new positions. We'll see. I mean, you know, we'll give this a shot. Like I said, Rizzo, I think has earned the right to try to fix this, but this is a situation over which he has presided. And I do think that his job could be in jeopardy if this rebuild doesn't go well, because, you know, the Nats are not in a good position. Right, Their farm system is still in the bottom third of Major League Baseball, if you look at the rankings. And as we're seeing so far this season, the team is having major issues. And you know, you're playing a lot of older guys, too, which is another thing, you know, like it's one thing if the Alcides Escobars and Cesar Hernandez's and Michael Franco's and Enable Sanchez's and Aaron Sanchez's play well or some of them do well and you can turn those guys into trade pieces. If all these guys struggle and you're 6 and 12 with a bad run differential and you have a, a bunch of older guys with whom you're losing at the major league level, it's like, what are we doing here? You know, so we'll see 18 games into the season. We'll see.
1: Only other point I'll make here, and I brought it up before, I was even talking about this with somebody earlier today. I've sort of made comparisons to this team, to the 2010 team, and that that's where I think this team is in its rebuilding process compared to back then. Go look at the 2010 roster. There were a few guys on that team who did lay the foundation and were part of the team that then won a division title in 2012. But a lot of the guys from the team that did win two years later were not on the team already by 2010. They were either still to be acquired or still in the minor leagues. So as frustrating as it might be this year to see who they're putting out there, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're looking at the team we're going to see two years from now. It could be very different by then.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, I I think there's a really good chance a lot of these guys are gonzo within the next two years. It's certainly feeling like that. And you know what's also interesting, too? So you've suffered this three-game sweep to the Giants, right? So the Giants had that great run, three World Series championships in five years. Then they got old. And things look really bad for a while, but they have been able to turn some things around. Now, they've done it with new people, right? Farhan Zaidi running baseball operations and Gabe Kapler now as the manager. But you can go from being old and bad to being good again. And it's happened with the Giants, and hopefully it happens with the Nats sooner rather than later. You tell us what you think. You can hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you'd like to become a sponsor of the Nats Chat Podcast, email Tim Shovers about that. Again, the address is NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. We want to announce something special regarding the Nats Chat Podcast. Uh, Starting this week, we are partnering with the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Uh, This doesn't really change anything for you, the Nats Chat Podcast listener, but we did want to share that news. Blue Wire is one of the premier podcasting networks out there. My podcast, the Al Galdi Podcast, has been with Blue Wire for more than a year. We've had a great relationship. So it just you know, creates some new opportunities for the podcast. Wanted to share the news. Like I said, this doesn't really impact you, the listener, at all. Just want to share the good news with you regarding the Nats Chat Podcast. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square.site. All Nationals radio highlights on Natch Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the NatchChat Chat Podcast.
4: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing.